Good morning, New Hope. Good morning, New Hope. Enthusiasm is a good thing. By the way, somebody is very enthusiastic. We came across these the other day, and these are some of our notes, and they're all filled out with beautiful detail. But bless their hearts, whoever it is, somebody's missing their notes. And whoever it is, if you're here today, I want to give you a folder, which is what we should, these can go in so you won't lose them anymore. So if these are yours, or you know who they are, I can't even tell whether it's a woman's or a man's writing. It's very neat, though, and thorough. So if you'd like them, here they are up here. One of the things, before I even get started this morning um, on the message, I want to pick up on a, on a scripture it, that Martin brought up. There are many opportunities that are going to come into your life this year. Each of us have 168 hours a week. And in those weeks ahead, in 2020, there will be many opportunities that are going to come into your life. The skill we're going to talk about today, as you need to know as a Christian, is how to sift out those that are God-given and those that are just your plans. Because otherwise you will find in your life, there are many ways which we zig and we zag through life. And we don't want to be, that's the crooked ways. And we waste a lot of energy doing endless switchbacks, zigging and zagging and zigging. Following the Lord's purposes, he will make your way straight. And you won't end up in dead ends and doing U-turns all the time. So that is the purpose of this message today. Making the most of the opportunities that God gives you. So it's good to see you. If you don't have your Bibles, and if you have your message notes, we're going to look at how to make the most of God-given opportunities. And now, whether you're, living, whether you're going to live a God-honoring life this year and for the rest of your life, whether you're going to build, use the time that God's given you to build a great soul, it's up to you. Because there are a lot of people who have exceptional talent, even exceptional, outstanding talent, who spend their lives on things that really don't matter in the end of the day. So today, we're going to look at, first of all, what is a great life as defined by God, not this world. I'm not interested in what the world says is great. Because that's one of those zigs and zags. Just about the time you get to zigging, you have to zag because they keep changing the goalpost. It's like saying, we're off for a race, like Joshua talked about. And then boom, and you're just about to get to the end of the race, they change the goalpost. And they're going to run all the way back here. And all you do is waste your energy on fruitless things. So three essentials of a great life, very quickly at the top. Number one is whatever you do, if you're going to have a great life, you need to give your life to a purpose that is greater than yours. Greater than yourself. It's going to be something much greater. And can I suggest to you humbly, the best thing you can do with your life, no matter what age or stage you are, is give yourself to God's purposes. Because they never change. He doesn't go switching the goalposts on you. He doesn't do a bait and switch. You and I will never be, now look at this word again, great in God's kingdom if we live for ourselves. You're not going to hear that very often today. Anybody can live a self-centered life. doesn't take any special skill. In fact, most people do live a self-centered life. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you only really know how to live if you live for his purposes. Now, God's plan and his purposes for the whole world focuses on his son and his family, much like you focus on your family. I want to extend the analogy. And his son 
has a family and it's called the flock. It's called the church. It's called the family of God. Now most people, when they think of the word church, they think of a building or a meeting. Most people think of a building. And then the next sort of like level is the meeting. But actually, the church is not something you go to. The church, biblical definition, is something that you are part of, part of his family. The church is a family of God for eternity. And, quick pricey here, history is all about God gathering people who choose him, who love him, who obey him and follow him and want to be with him forever. That's God's family. So whether you serve or you don't serve, or when you serve and you invest in the kingdom of God, God's family, the kingdom of God, you're investing in a sure thing because it'll never change. It's the only thing that's going to last for eternity. Fame doesn't last. Money doesn't last. That job you've been looking for, it will not last. Your career will not last. Your house will not last. You'll be out of there. It's just a matter of time. Even this country will not last. The only thing that's going to last is the kingdom of God. The will and the plan and the purposes of God are going to last forever. You can bank on that. So God is gathering a family to be with him. It's inevitable. Because the Bible says this. This is how it's going to end. Matthew 24, 14 on the screen. The good news about the kingdom will be preached. Are you helping with that? In all the world, to every nation, then it's a wrap. The end will come. That's what the Bible says. That's where it's all heading. Big meta picture. So whatever you do with your life this year and in the years to come, God willing you get those, is invest in the kingdom of God. Second, you've got to give yourself to something that's going to last, and that's God's plan. Second, to make the most of your God-given opportunities, you have to join great people committed to the same purpose. You need great people to work with alongside as well. And by the way, I want to define for you what great people are. It's not what the world thinks. It's probably not what you think. Great people are just ordinary people committed to God's great purposes. Then they are great in God's eyes. That's biblical. Here at New Hope, we're a group of people that are committed to the purposes of God. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says on the screen, we work together as partners who belong to God. Now, most people have no idea that the biggest thing on planet Earth is the church. It's way bigger than Europe. It's way bigger than China. And you need to get attached to God's family. We have a class called 101 that's coming up. If you'd like to be involved in that, check class 101. First, you need a great purpose. Second, you need great people to connect up with, to team up with. And the third thing you need to do is to, and this is what we're going to spend the rest of the message on, Make the most of great opportunities as defined by God. Great opportunities are all around us. Often, you and I just don't know how to seize them, though. This is actually a godly skill. Before our children left home, I had a list of about 40 different skills I wanted to teach my kids. And one of the big things you can help your kids do is to say... Out of all the opportunities, called opportunity management, how to say no to most of them. So you can focus on the best of them. Because many opportunities come, not all things are worth doing. 
So today I want to talk about how you get a vision for God's opportunities in your life. And the Bible says this on your outline. Uh, This is all about how fruitful Christians live life. Fruitful. You want to be fruitful? Look at what Paul says here. He says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And that's a command from God. Make the most. Don't fritter your life away. Your life is based on time. You and Bill Gates have exactly the same amount of time. How we use it is important. Now, just as Christ redeems us from the futile experience and existence when we're enslaved to sin, and he empowers us to live lives of purity and purpose. Two things he does there. Likewise, we also need to buy back our time, or the old days, it used to be called redeem the time, Turning opportunities towards his purpose. So as humans, though, I've noticed we, are, we lean towards the two extremes in life. At times, we waste our lives. We waste our time. And other times, we become almost neurotic about it. We're either procrastinators or we are workaholics. There's often two extremes, I see. Now, when we procrastinate... And we keep putting things off and putting things off. We are passively resisting God's purposes in our life. I'll get to that. Yeah, I know I should do that, but I won't. So we're passively resisting. Maybe you've had some children who passively resist you. They're not for a full-out fight, but they just don't ever get on it. They never get on the job. And when we're workaholics on the other side, we disregard God's desire for us to have joy and peace and rest. Now, we overcome procrastination, firstly, with discipline and self-control, which are fruits of the Spirit. Directing our energies onto what really matters. Really, really matters. And by the way, discipline. I want to give you a a a quick definition of discipline. It means prioritizing and planning and staying focused on the goal and not losing sight of God's purpose. We overcome, on the other hand, the extreme of restless workaholism with discernment. Have you ever thought to yourself, my mum used to say this, you're so busy, you're making me dizzy. My sons do that to me now, my head hurts. Slow down. Not everything's needed to be done. We need to recognize that we're not created as just machines to accomplish endless lists of to-dos. In fact, the other day I was in the office of one of my sons who's a CEO, and I said to him, son, you have a lot of to-dos. Don't tell me about what you are doing. Tell me about what you stopped doing. And that's a word for some of you here right now. You need to make, you're very good at making your to-do lists. I want to suggest to you this afternoon, stop and write another list. My not to-do list. What am I taking off my plate? Otherwise, you'll find yourself time-strapped and pursuing endless activity. God made us to experience meaningful relationships with Him and with others while appreciating His beautiful creation. Kimberly and I yesterday were at Who Knew a Falls and having to wander around God's creation 
almost everybody else seemed to be wrecking creation out there with litter and other stuff, but we had a fun time anyway. So Paul gives a straightforward reason for making the most of every opportunity. Real straight with Paul, typical. Without procrastination or being overly ambitious, he says, because the days are evil. You don't hear that very often these days, do you? Because the days are evil. Ephesians 5.16. This can be understood in two ways. It may be that we need to use our time wisely and carefully in order to counter the evil in this world. Or it may refer to the way the evil world tempts us towards wasting our time on frivolous entertainment, fruitless pursuits, and fragmented activities. That's a fair few Fs for this time on Sunday morning. Frivolous entertainment, fruitless pursuits, or fragmented activities. In either case, doesn't matter. Option A or option B, the message is clear. If you're the lamb, to use a term, redeem the time. Get it back. Things are robbing you of your time, and your time is your life. So you've got to have a, to have a great life. You need to have a purpose in your life that's greater than yourselves. You need people around you in your life that you can team up with. That's called a church family. And thirdly, you need opportunities to develop your talents, gifts, and abilities. It's a skill you can choose to learn. Now, having said that, I want to share with you now six things about the opportunities from God's Word. Opportunities that can come into your life. If you want to have a great life, you need to do these six things. Number one is I must say no to some opportunities in order to say yes to God's ones. I need to say no to some opportunities in order to say yes to God's ones. Well, why is that? Well, quite simple. You and I do not have the time to do everything, right? And by the way, for some of you workaholics, let me just tell you, God does not expect you to do everything. And by the way, not everything is worth doing. So being able to take advantage of great opportunities first means knowing what I should stop doing. That means I need to simplify and clarify and think about how I am spending my life. Look, you think how you spend money, right? Your life is worth far more than your money. Think carefully today about what you should stop doing, how you're spending your life. What's not building a great soul? What are those things that are not doing that, not helping? What is not making a godly impact that's going to matter in the long run because the days are evil? Ask yourself, why in the world am I wasting time on that? Now, some opportunities, let me be real clear, are diversions and distractions from God's will for your life. And they will look good. These are called temptations. I've never found a temptation that anybody fell for that looked terrible. All the temptations I know look very attractive. What I have to do is be discerning. And figure out what I should be pursuing and what I shouldn't. Some will completely detour you from the purposes God has for your life. Jesus said to not look back. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's talking, he says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. 
with, notice, as few distractions as possible. Today we're driven to death or the distraction by death. We'll go to death by distraction. So we're going to say no to some opportunities in order to have room to say yes to God's ones. Number two, to, have a good, to build a great life that will count, I need to evaluate each opportunity. Evaluate. Or you'll be given opportunities up the wazoo. I guarantee it. More than you can handle. We say wazoo in, in New Zealand, don't we? But, yeah? Lots of them. Every opportunity that comes your way to use your time, to use your money, to use your energy. You've only got so much energy. To use your influence. To use your words. Every opportunity must be evaluated. And here are the five questions I'm going to give you to help you evaluate the opportunities that come your way this year. Number one is what do I need to know and who knows it? What do I need to know and who knows it? Now I know this from first-hand experience because many of my friends are in business. Here's the raw facts. 53% of all first-time businesses fail within three years. 53%. Source of that? Westpac. Why? Why did it fail? Because they don't know what they need to know before they start. They've got a quiver in their liver and they think it's a great idea. They've got an ocean of emotion and they're just going for it. They set their heart on it. Bad idea. They don't know what they need to know before they start and they don't even know who to go ask. Proverbs is real clear about this. It says it's stupid to decide. Pretty blunt, right? Before knowing the facts. That's what the Bible says. I, I used to use this in my companies. I'd have that verse up there. It is stupid to know, to decide before knowing the facts. And that was straight from the scriptures. Who's going to argue with that? Trouble is we don't do it. Now let me say something to you, some of you young people too. Some of you are looking for new jobs. And you're looking to be interviewed. Can I suggest something to you? You should be interviewing them. Find somebody who works there and find out what it's like to work there. Find out from people who've left why they left. Get smart. Understand what it's like to work there. Understand what you're getting into, is what I'm trying to say. Look at this verse on the screen. The Bible says this, get all the advice you can and you'll succeed. Without it, you'll fail. Don't think that you know it all. In fact, here's the deal. I have three earned degrees, and all I've learned from those three degrees is the more I know, the more I know I don't know much. (laughs) It makes me more humble. I go, I need to go ask some people who really know what they're talking about here. The second question to ask when you're evaluating opportunities in your life, is what might be, and this is a big one, the unintended consequences of this decision. Because there's always unintended consequences. But we never see those, or really. There are consequences to every single decision you make. Not just on you, on other people. Oh, it's my life, I can do what you like. I like. Have you ever heard that one? trouble is it affects everybody else 
to think about this. Proverbs 22 verse 3 says, A prudent man, that's a wise person, foresees difficulties ahead. That's why I am very strong on forecasting. They foresee difficulties ahead and they prepare for them. A fool goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Friend, just because you've got a great idea doesn't mean to think, it doesn't mean to say that you should do this. Have you thought about the unseen? Have you thought about it? It's like playing chess. Ever done that? Oh, this looks like a great move. I can take the guy's queen. Be very careful. Watching. There's another move coming your way that you haven't seen. So just take some time. The Bible encourages you to think clearly about these things. Proverbs 14, 16 on the screen. The wise are cautious and avoid danger. They see it in advance. The fools plunge ahead with great confidence. See, businesses are ruined when they think they see an opportunity, but they don't know how to carefully evaluate it before they take the plunge. One of my acquaintances, too removed, had a bright idea. They love, love, love hot, fresh donuts. Love them. And they can make stuff. I'm telling you, they're up there. On a scale of 1 to 10, they're probably about an 8.5. So they're really good. I would buy one. Trouble is, they're in Uganda. And they thought it would be a great idea to start a donut shop. Ugandans do not eat donuts. (laughs) So not the smartest tool in the shed. One has to think about the consequences of this and evaluate before you take the plunge. Thirdly, what's my motivation? To make the best use of your life, to, to live a great life. What's my motivation? Here's, how, here's a motivation, definitely, the Bible says, to stay completely away from. Do not let this affect you. Here it is, Philippians 2.3. Never, that's a big word, never let selfish, you know, selfish, selfishness, that's empty glory. Big hiss in the world, but it means nothing. Never let selfishness or empty glory or pride be your guide. Oh, people will really like this if I'm driving this car or I have this job. Never do that. That's a wrong motivation. That will not help you live a meaningful life in God's eyes. That's what the world will tell you. So never let selfishness or pride be your guide when you do these things. You need to look and ask yourself, am I doing this out of selfishness or greed? Was it just to get the money? I'm just going to say that. Or is this for God's glory in my life? Because that's what's going to last. Jesus says, speaking in 1624 of Matthew, if, that's a question, if, you have a choice, if, 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 if you want to be my follower, you must, oh, that's a big word, put aside your selfish ambitions, shoulder your cross, and then follow me. Jesus, how to live a great life. That's the great life Jesus talks about. Are you willing to do that? That is living a truly great life according to him. Now these words were originally applied to the the disciples, the 12 disciples. And they have application to all who would come after him to deny themselves, take up the cross, and to follow. And that's what you evaluate as you evaluate your opportunities in life in 2020. The fourth question to evaluate is, does it fit my purpose and my calling? 
Jesus says here in Luke 9:62, anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work that I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. Would you say that's a fairly serious challenge and exhortation to his family? Us? See, many things can distract you and me from the work that God has planned for us, for God's purpose for our lives. But one of the main things that will distract you from God's purpose for your life is the way you see God's purpose has worked out in somebody else's life. He has different purposes and a different calling for your life. So don't be distracted or compare yourself by wanting to be like somebody else, have their job, their role, whatever it may be. When you do that, Isaiah 26.3 says, when you don't compare, but you hang on to what God's called you to, it says, you, Lord, give perfect peace to those who keep their possessive, their purpose firm, and put their trust in you. It's personal. So if you're lacking peace about your purpose, it may be that you're trying to live somebody else's purpose. So Paul encourages you. And again, Ephesians 4.1, he says this, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your personal, personal, your calling for personal. You have been called by God. It's very personal. God can do something through your life he doesn't ever intend to do through anybody else's life. Doesn't matter whether anybody else notices or not. That's not the issue. God has that calling for your life. The fifth question you ask is this Is this the best use of my time and energy? Is this the best use of my time and energy? 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, Everything is permissible. But not everything is beneficial, and not everything is constructive. Boy, isn't that the truth? See, here's an analogy which applies the point. You could decide to watch YouTube for 10 hours a day. That may be permissible, it's not illegal. But it sure isn't a beneficial use of your time. And it certainly is not the last word, constructive. See, God has given you one life to live. Just one. And in 2020 and beyond, the question needs to be asked, what is the best use of time that I can make from the gift that God's given me? Now, these five principles will help you evaluate the opportunities and throw out the second-class causes so you can focus on the best. This is part of the the process of evaluation. Next, Here's not observation. Opportunities will come into your life and mine when I least expect them. They can happen in a day. In 24 hours, your life can change. And sometimes God literally puts a life-changing option in front of you. Therefore, be ready. Be ready. Good example of this is Joseph went from the pit to the palace in 24 hours. There you go. Boom. 24 hours from jail to the top job. Why? When they said, can you do this? He said, sure. He was ready. 
Friend, God can do more in your life in 24 hours than we can do in 40 years of career scheming or engineering. But always remember, when he lifts you to that position like he did with Joseph, remember his interests. Use your influence for him and his purposes. So are you ready for the opportunity that God has prepared for you? The Bible says I have to be ready and expect them. 2 Timothy 2.21 Therefore, if anybody cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart, that's separated as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready, there's that word, ready for every good work that he has planned beforehand, before you were even born, for you to walk in. That's what it's talking about. Paul's point is that believers should desire to be special vessels ready for any special service needed by God. Now, let me be real clear about this. It does not mean that you or I have to be perfect. We ain't going to be perfect. But it does mean when I make a mistake, when I sin, I quickly admit it to God. Or you may just say this, like I had to say this week, God, this week I said some things I shouldn't have said. Maybe you say, God, I was mean to my wife this week. Please forgive me and say sorry. God, I just lied to those people. God, I'm sorry. Or maybe, God, that was an arrogant attitude. Or maybe, God, that was jealousy. And I'm sorry. What I'm saying there is don't let these things pile up. Keep your accounts short with God and with other people. As far as it depends on you with other people. But you're not going to be perfect, but you can be clean by confessing your sins. The Bible says in 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 9. So you're never going to be perfect, but you can be clean, ready to be used, ready for the opportunity when I least expect it. Point number four. When these opportunities come, I must stay flexible to be ready. Flexible. When God has opportunities in your life, you have to stay flexible to, here's this word that some of you quiver in your chair about, change. God is calling some of you into a season of change. So how do you do that? Well, Galatians 5.25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. Let's not get behind, which is mostly our problem. Unless we get impatient, then we start to get ahead. We see that in Abraham's life. Maybe in the unexpected window of opportunity opens up that you never saw. The point is here, you've got to be flexible and say, well, we were planning over here, God, like Martin said this morning. Man makes his plans, but guess what? God directs his paths. Doesn't mean to say you shouldn't plan. You should plan counting on God to direct your paths. To direct your steps. You should plan. But with an open hand. Not, ooh, I'm doing this and nothing's going to take me away from it. It's God, this is what we think. But if God opens up an opportunity that fits those other criteria, you need to be flexible to change your plans. You'll be willing to let go of your plan and move forward. Problem, opportunities are like problems. They come to pass. They don't come to stay. You'll get it and then that window of opportunity will shut. 
You need to be ready to dive through that one. Now, there are three reasons why that caused people to miss opportunities. One is directly related to this. The antithesis of it is inflexibility. An unwillingness to change. Well, I like what I'm kind of doing. And we want to keep on doing it. Until I die. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is a very interesting verse. Because it's true. I mean, just underlines that we like what we're doing. And we want to keep on doing it. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 19, It is pleasant to see our plans develop. I've got a saying around my house, my kids will finish it off. It's great when a plan comes together. Well, it's a very satisfying feeling. Oh, oh, it's very nice. But, uh, uh, let me stop there. We love to make plans. Go ahead. Do make plans. But then the, the Bible says in the full verse, it's pleasant to see our plans develop. That is why fools refuse to give them up even when they're wrong. You see, here's the problem. You set your heart on something. When you do that, you may lose your ability to assess it objectively. Desire can blind your judgment. And you may proceed with an unwise relationship. That's one that often bites and has huge consequences for everybody involved. Maybe it's a wasteful purchase because desires overcome your heart. Or a poorly conceived plan that adds nothing, zero. In fact, it negates the contribution you can make to the kingdom of God with your life. It says fools refuse to give up their plans even when they're going in the wrong direction. You're going this way and God says, okay, here's the opportunity. You go, nope, I'm keeping going. They're inflexible. Jesus says to three different guys, come. What an invitation. Follow me. And each of them Give an excuse. Be careful of excuses. The thing that's shocking is you all say one similar thing. Lord, me first. Luke 9.57, it goes all the way through 10.2. You can read in, the, in this afternoon. Jesus said, come follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me first. And then he gives his excuse. Lord, I'll follow you back first. I need to go home because I bought a piece of land and I've got to close a business deal before I start serving your purposes. I've got to win so much money, God, before I'll even consider serving your purposes. I've got to have that security. Who are you depending on your security for? Number two, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go home and bury my father. And by the way, FYI, he's not dead yet. But let me go home and wait. It could be a while till he finally kicks a bucket. So in this case, family obligations. All family obligations. God says, hey, let the dead bury the dead. (laughs) Different view. His view is anyone that counts. See, what I want to say to you in a sentence is this. Lord, and the phrase, me first, is a contradiction. You cannot say those two phrases in the same sentence. Because if he really is Lord, then he is first. Me first says he's not really Lord. I am Lord. Little L. So you've got to decide who's practically, not theoretically, practically the Lord of your life. You or God. God. 
Is it me first? My plans? My ambitions? My desires? My dreams? Or Lord, which means I want to fulfill the purposes that you made me to fulfill and they are first. That's making your path straight, not crooked. What have you been saying me first to God about in your life? Me first, God. Let me first get married and then I'll serve with my wife. Or let me get a job and then I'll get cracking on your purposes. Or let me just earn a certain amount of money I have in the back of my mind but let me first. Inflexibility is busyness. And the third one is lack of faith. According to your faith, will it be done unto you? A lot of times we see a great opportunity, but you think, oh, I don't have the faith to pursue it. I don't have the background. Too much time has passed. I'm too old. If you're thinking that, be encouraged. Because Moses started the leading the children of Israel to victory when he was 80. Started. So there's nobody in this room which is exempt from this. Fifth, to consider. Consider every opportunity will have opposition. Anytime you do anything good... In your life, for God, you are going to be opposed. Sometimes it's by those who are closest to you. And they'll go, well, who do you think you are? Well, that's exactly the wrong question. The right question is, who do I think God is? Because this is dependent upon him. Every God-given opportunity will have opposition. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, there is a door, a wide open door. Wide open for great work. This is an opportunity thing. Come on, man. And many people are responding to this opportunity, right? Here it is, the opportunity, the big door. But, see that word but sitting right there? Here it is. There are also many who oppose me. It's the pioneers that get the arrows in the back. And as old John Ortberg used to say, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Leave the security of the boat. You're going to be willing to risk. What risk is there in your life for the kingdom of God's sake? Plenty of people are willing to risk stuff for business sake and for their own sake. For me first, what about for God? Finally, last point. Remember this, that great opportunities bring great responsibility. Jesus said it like this, to whom much is given, much will be required. And to whom much more is given, even more will be expected from them. So in this sentence, God expects more from those he blesses more. Now pretty much everybody listening to this today here and online right now, you're all in the much more category. You are the most blessed in the world. And God didn't give you all his blessings just for you to be comfortable. Now there's one last opportunity, which is not in your outline, but I could, I would be, it would be tremendously remiss of me if I failed to mention it. And the reason why is this. If you miss this opportunity, it is unquestionably the biggest mistake of your life. The Bible says in a very unusual verse in Jeremiah 8.20 about a missed opportunity. 
You can go back and read the background to it. But the principle's the same. The harvest has passed. The summer has ended. And we are not saved. Do you know, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven and be acceptable in front of God? Would you stand there with no sin? Because sin will separate you from God. Are you absolutely certain that you're saved? Some of you have come to New Hope for years, some months and some weeks, and you've never stepped across the line. My question to you is, what are you waiting for? Because no opportunity lasts forever. And God is saying this to you. I offer your past to be forgiven, to give you a purpose to live for on earth, and a home in heaven. Now you and I don't know how long that offer lasts. Because you and I don't know when our time is up. Let's bow our heads. Friends, if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, why don't you just say these words to him right now in your mind and say, Jesus Christ, I need to be saved. I can't get into heaven on my own and I'm not good enough. Heaven is a perfect place and I sure am not. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. And God, I need you in my life. And Jesus Christ, as much as I know how, just pray this, say, Jesus Christ, as much as I know how, I humbly ask you to become the manager of my life, the boss, the one who calls the shots, the CEO. I do not want to spend my one life on my limited plans, but I do want to live for your great purposes in my life. Father, I confess I've wasted a lot of time and even a lot of years. But I really want to make this year in 2020 count for you. I pray this in your name. Amen.